I'm Elena Salinas, and this is the Women in Tech Show, a show where women in tech talk about technology and career development. Today's guest is Jessica Jobs, founder of On the Grid. On the Grid is a marketing agency which brings data first to decision making. Jessica brings years of experience working at Microsoft as a program manager at Bing. We talked about the key insights that she learned during her time at Microsoft and how they helped her launch a company in online marketing. While at Microsoft, Jessica also worked as chief of staff with Derek Connell, CVP at Bing, and Julie Larson Green, chief experience officer at Office. We talked about what a chief of staff does as well as the work involved in creating effective demos. If you have any feedback, please write a review on iTunes or send me a tweet at Tech Women Show. Jessica Jobs, founder of On The Grid, is joining us this morning. Jessica, welcome to the Women in Tech Show. Thank you. It's great to be here. At Microsoft, you spend time in both engineering and marketing roles. You worked as a senior program manager at Bing and later as chief of staff. You work with Derek Connell, CVP at Bing, and with Julie Larson Green, who has been an executive vice president in Windows. She drove the ribbon design in Office and is currently chief experience officer at Office. This role had some marketing components to it. First of all, what does a chief of staff do? Right, this is a great question. Um, it's, it actually depends on the executive because it's really, it's really uh, supporting them in whatever they need to do. And, you know, they have their team, they have their go-to people. So this is, this is the kind of the extra position. And you, um, in a lot of ways, you fill in where they need extra help. And so my role with Derek was very different than my role with Julie. And my role with Derek, he was very process-oriented. And so there was like schedules for everything. And and you know everyone aligned to this process and being worked like a machine and so in a lot of ways i helped him keep that machine running by you know here are all the meetings that are coming up and here are all the things that need to be prepared for those meetings and so i would do a lot of um, you know presentation preparation and so that was one part of my role i um, ran the budget and then another part was uh, a big part was storytelling he was a big storytelling person and he was um, he liked to lead the team with visions um, using product and so you know six months out we'd say we, we need to build something big and here's kind of what we think uh, we want to build and so we would work back from that and create a prototype and it would be vaporware um, but we would really work through like what's the scenario and how do we bring this to life and I would work the, with the design team and we would create a prototype and then the next six months we're going out and demoing it and getting everyone aligned to this vision and and then getting you know these like amazing engineers to go build some really cool stuff based on vaporware and based on a vision and so that was uh, I did a lot of that with him and then with Julie uh, I was only working with her for six months it was right when she came into the chief experience officer role my big project there was actually another big demo for the uh, board of directors and she's also an amazing storyteller 
Um, but she had, she did a lot of the vision and like, here's where, here's the story I want to tell. And then, um, and then for my role, a lot of it was execution because it was a cross Microsoft demo. And so just trying to pull together, you know, the windows piece with the office piece with the Xbox, I mean, there was a lot of hardware. There was a lot of just coordination on that project. What do you think makes a story great? You know, I have this, there's this woman who really inspired me. Her name is Nancy Duarte, and she does this amazing TED Talk on the patterns of storytelling. And so if you haven't seen it or you haven't heard of her, um, go ahead and just do a search for Nancy Duarte and storytelling TED Talk. But she, she's, um, she focuses on PowerPoint. That was like her way of telling stories. And so it's really relevant for Microsoft. But she essentially figured out, she studied all these great speeches and storytellers, and she figured out the patterns in their stories. And um, she draws this very simple pattern at the end of her TED Talk. And it's, it's essentially, it's about weaving somebody back and forth between the present and the future. So if you think about the Martin Luther King, you know, I have a dream speech, and you map that on, on her pattern, it's all about like, I have a dream. So he's talking about, here's the future. And then he goes, but today, here's the reality. But in the future, it's going to be like this. But today, here's where we are. And so it's that weaving back and forth. Um, that's one really, really powerful way to tell a story. Same with the, the iPhone. Just that demo turned 10 years old. I think it was yesterday. And it's the same thing. He's, here's how things are being done. This is the future. So Totally. Yeah, it's exact. Yep. Yeah, and it's a really powerful way of tapping into people's emotions. And so it's tricky, though, to actually do it, especially when you're talking about technology and like, how do you get somebody excited about this feature that I'm working on? And so, um, you know, it works easy. It works better for certain things than it does for others. But one thing I've noticed is that when I try to talk about something in a linear way, which that's how my brain thinks, is like, here's where I am and here's where I want to get to. And so... Let me tell you about all the steps that need to happen in order to get from point A to point B. Nobody's going to listen to me because I don't hook them in the beginning. I don't give them something to like stick around for. Even if you can just like pull in one, one piece of the vision to the very beginning and to get somebody hooked so that they listen to you until you get to the end, that's, um, that's a good little hack. I want to expand just a bit more in that last major event that you had at Microsoft, which was working um, for a demo that Julie Larson Green was going to do, a cross-platform product demo for the Microsoft board meeting. I'm very curious about this because I haven't seen a board meeting demo. So what do you think, um, based on preparing for this, what do you think makes a good product demo? Oh, wow. So the board meeting was this whole other beast. There was, we didn't have a tech crew in there. We didn't have all the, you know, if this system fails, roll back to this one. It was basically kind of make or break. And Julie had to do all of, all of it herself. Um, so that was added a whole other level of complexity. But it's really, I mean, when you're, when you're trying to move an audience, especially like board of directors, you need to give them a vision and you need to make them believe in something. 
so that they they want to invest. And it's really the same. It's the same. Any executive at Microsoft needs to get their team to believe in them and to follow them. So it's almost like a sales job in a way. But you need to connect the product that you're showing and the feature that you're showing to something bigger. So after 13 years at Microsoft, you left to start a marketing agency. And after 18 months, you wrote a blog post titled, It's been 18 months since I left Microsoft. And I saw it became very popular on LinkedIn. And this is where you talk about your trajectory at Microsoft, your experience at Bing, and then later on starting a company and getting clients. Once you started this marketing agency, what solutions were you more, most interested in providing to your clients? Because marketing is a huge field. There's social media engagement, there's website engagement. Was there something in particular that you were more interested? Yeah, it, it is huge. I'm still learning tons every day. You know, uh, the, the way it's all evolved is that um, when I was working at Bing, we had data for everything. And, and remember, I was talking about Bing kind of worked like this machine. And we would test a whole bunch of ideas, and then we would find what works, and we'd ship that, and then everything else we would turn off, you know, and keep learning and shipping. And, and when I left Microsoft and I went to go work at a digital agency that created websites and apps, I realized, like, it felt like I had gone back 10 years of time because it was just a, you know, a small team sitting around saying, what are we going to build and what color should it be and what should it say for like a website? And I was like, but where's the data? Like, how do we even know this is going to work when we send this business owner out the door? And um, I didn't know it at the time, but I, I started, as I started my marketing agency, I started trying to recreate an environment that I was comfortable in where I was trying to get data for every decision. And so if there was something I was doing, like a blog post or, you know, social media campaign or creating a website, uh, I would always try to figure out how do I measure the success of this? And through that whole process, I um, learned tons and tons and tons of different tools. And, um, and I actually hired a PhD, a PhD data scientist. He was my first hire because I was like, I need even more data. Like I can only get so much on my own. And so the, um, over the first year, we probably tried, I don't know, 40 different tools and found this, the tech stack that works where we can actually, it feels like we can just see what's happening on the internet now, whereas before I felt like I had blinders on. And so that's a big service. Um, to my clients is to you know help them get data flowing on their website and not just adding google analytics it's you know adding things like mouse flow which is a very visual tool and it um, it gives you heat maps so you know how far down the page people scroll or you can play recordings of people on your website like a dvr and you can actually see them moving through your website and it gets even pretty creepy where you can see them typing on your website and so if they're actually filling out a form, you can see their information. You can see what they write in the email. You can see them deleting, like if they start to write something. And there's so much information out there now, and there's so many visual ways to see data. Do you see this information in a focus group or? So I have done, I do one-on-one type um, customer interviews versus focus groups. 
But I think there's a lot, like there's a lot that startups are doing to try to replicate the research experience that's happening at larger companies because they don't have the budget and they don't have the time, but they still need to get the same type of output, right? They need to know, am I going in the right direction? You need the qualitative and you need the quantitative. I mean, I mainly ask because you mentioned you could see a lot of things. So I, I was trying to understand if it was in a enclosed environment where they agree that the, these things are going to happen versus releasing that. Like if I'm typing on my computer and somebody else behind the scenes is seeing my passwords and what I'm typing, I would be concerned. That's why I wanted to know if it was in a enclosed Got it. Yeah. And actually, so the, the technology, there's there's multiple tools out there, but the one in particular that I use is called Mouseflow. And it makes it definitely makes people uneasy when they see it for the first time. And I have a Microsoft client that saw it and was like, that's amazing, but it's not for Microsoft from the from a PII perspective. And there's ways around that. Like you can turn off the recording so you don't see that information. So it's um, there definitely are ways around it. What have been the analytics that you have found the most insightful for a website? Um, This is an area that I definitely want to develop more muscle in because I think, and you made this point when we were going back and forth before the call about there's so much data out there. Like, how do you know what to focus on? You know, there's certain things. if If you're looking to, let's say, get your website to rank in a search engine, there are certain there are certain factors that people have studied to know if it's um, going to help you rank or not, and things like the time the time on your website. So if you bring a customer into your website and they're not spending very much time on your website, that's a negative factor for Google or Bing, and they're not going to rank your website as high. So there's there's certain metrics that depending on what you're trying to do that you can kind of really hone in on, but um, you know the the, the one that I spend the most time on is clicks. So uh, we do a lot of Facebook ads because you can test different messages. You can te- test different images with your target audience. You can get really targeted about who, about who your audience is. And people are voting with clicks. And so that's kind of like the lowest level type of metric that you can use. And that just helps you know if you're moving in the right direction or not. And, and then you can get way more complicated where, you know, they have to go all, they have to go through five different steps and fill out an email form and, and then you're getting into like deeper conversions and those are a lot harder. Yeah, I did a show on web performance with Tammy Everts a while ago and we talked that potentially even the web performance is a factor in the, in the rank for search engines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we have a guideline of each of our pages have to be 1900. They have to load in 1900 milliseconds or less because there's been a study that shows that to rank on the first page of Google, you have to be around that number. So what are some of the things that you have been able to determine that don't work on a website by looking at some of the analytics? Yeah, there's a lot that we decide not to do. I'm trying to think of a good example. You know, any any topic that's anything that you put on your website that's too vague, where you're not speaking directly to a person or you're not 
you don't know if you don't know your customer or you don't know your like what you're writing about so well then you're not then whoever lands on your page if it feels vague and they don't know why they're there and they don't know what they're getting they're going to bounce right away and so a lot of a lot of what we learn is like how to how to be more specific how to how to ask the right question to the right audience so instead of saying i have this feature and it does this amazing thing you say do you have this problem and then you know for example we have a um some ads running that says are you about to create a website and here are the things that you must know before you create a website so it's starting with that question to meet the person where they're at before you deliver the you know and here's what you're going to get um because that question is just enough to give somebody pause to be like yeah that's me and then there's this natural like need to want to figure the next um, part of that out so there's little tricks like that and if we don't have any sort of hook any sort of question or any sort of like emotional tie to keep them in the very beginning then um, we can't keep traffic which ties back to the what we were talking about earlier on storytelling having a good story and focus yeah definitely let's talk about visual representations of data what are some effective visual representations that you personally like from website data? So I'll probably uh, just keep coming back to mouse flow, the heat map technology, because other than the mouse tracking, so that's like the DVR recordings, they have heat map technology. So you can see how far down people are scrolling on your page. Um, and then it also gives you click data. So you know where people are clicking on the site. And so the heat map is super powerful because if, you know, your job is to engage somebody long enough to get them to take the action that you want. And if you can look and see where people are dropping off the page, then that gives you, um, that gives you an area to focus on to try to figure out how do I keep somebody here? Or, you know, what am I saying on this page that's causing somebody to lose interest and to drop off? And that's really, really powerful when you start to focus on that because you'll see as you scroll down, like when you're looking at the heat map, it goes from like red um, where everybody's looking at it, it's hot. And then you start to see these color changes. It gets colder and colder. And a lot of times you'll see like a really hard drop off. Like I wrote a blog post about my time at Bing and data. And there was one paragraph where I went a little deep into the um, Bing technology. And that's where everybody dropped off. And that was, I, I mean, there were a lot of things that were different between that blog post and the one that went viral. But if I were trying to make that blog post go viral, I need to figure out how to not let people drop off and get them to the end so they start to share it. So it's those types of things that are really powerful that I feel like haven't quite percolated through um, some of the Bayer companies. And it's actually a really simple Um, there's a lot of tools that are just really simple to set up. And also understanding your audience because that paragraph, I would have been very interested in reading that paragraph. So who the, who the, who the audience is. <laughs> totally. So from your time at Bing, I, w I was reading about Bing and I saw that it reached 20% market share in 2015. And this was a huge milestone. Um, I'm, I'm in favor of having search engine alternatives. I use 
both Bing and Google, even since before I worked at Microsoft. Were there any key things or concepts that you learned while working at Bing that helped you understand better digital marketing and the search engine space? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, marketing such a data-oriented field um, and Bing was all about data. And so I think I'm starting to kind of understand things a little bit better now where I feel like at Bing, like we had these mental models on how the internet should work and how you should grow a business using data. And a lot of that was like having a testing environment so you can try new ideas and then measure it and figure out what to ship. And so I had these like mental models on how everything should work. And then when I came out of Microsoft and the world was not operating the way that I was comfortable with, I think I've slowly got things operating in a way that fits my mental models of how it should work. And so, um, I mean, it's, it's kind of abstract, but, um, but I was in a comfort zone and I figured out in, I mean, it's very relevant to what, um, what we were doing at Bing is very relevant to the marketing world because you have to figure out how to move customers and get them to search more at Bing. And on the internet, you have to be able to move customers and get them to take some sort of call to action, you know, sign up for your email list or buy your product. And, and so, um, I don't know, They're, in a strange way, it was an engineering team, but I feel like I learned marketing it. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I totally understand that. And which is part of why I like working um, at a big corporation, a successful corporation, because you learn good engineering practices and how to wire up processes. And then, like you said, later, not everybody is doing this outside and it, it comes as a shock sometimes. And but you, but you learn a lot from it anyway. Definitely. And I think if you're a, if you have those great engineering, um, you know, instincts and those have been built into you, and then you layer on storytelling on top of that, then I think you're really, you can be really powerful. I want to talk now about starting on the, on the grid, this marketing agency that, that you build. What was the process for this, for, for example, for finding your first client? <laughs> oh, it was rough. <laughs> I, yeah, it, um, let's see, I, in May, a year and a half ago, I decided to leave that agency that I was working for. And it was October when I got my first client. And, you know, I took the summer to just try to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And in that process, I started to, you know, I created a website and I started to drive traffic to it. And I started to learn um, online marketing. And so once I decided, like, this is fun and I'm finding success with it, and I said, I'm going to be a marketing agency, then it took me two months to get that first client. And what I did, um, I did some free work. So for a month, I worked my network and I just said, whatever you need done, I will do free work because I need to build my portfolio. So I spent a month doing that and building my portfolio. And at the same time, I was doing all these um, things on my own website. And so I focused really hard on like, what is that presentation that I'm going to take to a client and be able to open it up and show them some of the things I'm doing. And um, when I finally did get to sit down with somebody who, um, who was from my network, I knew he had a startup and we sat down and we were chatting 
And I started to show him some of the stuff I was doing. And then he's like, oh my God, this is different. This is cool. And he hired me just as a test because he already had a marketing uh, agency. And he hired me as a test, um, $50 an hour for, it was going to be for a week. And I was like, I'll take it. And this happened to be on the deadline that I gave myself to get a client. So I was like, yes, I'll take it, anything. And um, the middle of that next week, he was like, okay, this is working. Let's keep going. And he raised the rate that he was paying me. So, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get that ball rolling. It's really hard. And in your experience, it was people from your network that you reach out to. What I was also thinking is volunteering for nonprofits or things like that. Yeah, definitely. I think that would work well, too. Well, Jessica, thank you for coming on the show. It's been good talking about your journey from a decade at Microsoft to having your own business. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun.